would you describe your prayer life as hot? Or maybe you describe it as cold or maybe just somewhere in the middle, right? Lukewarm. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you have been enjoying good times with, uh, uh, with the Lord in prayer this week as we've walked through this, this first of three weeks of, uh, of prayer, uh, in our church. Uh, prayer has always been a central part of, of following God. It's the, it's the primary way that, uh, that, that God and His people communicate. Down through history, uh, Christian leaders have practiced consistent, deep, habitual prayer. Martin Luther said, I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. He often said, he that has prayed well has studied well. John Wesley uh, once said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer, and he followed that up by devoting two hours each day to personal prayer. David Brainerd, missionary to the Native Americans, kept a journal which was filled with accounts of prayer and meditation and fasting. He wrote, I love to be alone in my cottage where I can spend much time in prayer. Adoniram Judson, a 19th century missionary to Burma, uh, withdrew from his normal work seven times each day in order to, quote, engage in the holy work of prayer. And so at dawn and at nine and at 12 and at three and at six and at nine and at midnight, he spent time in private prayer. John Hyde was a missionary to India and, and he made prayer such a dominant part of his life that they nicknamed him Praying Hyde. Charles Finney was an evangelist during the Second Great Awakening in America, and, and he had two prayer partners, Daniel Nash and Abel Clary. And Nash and Clary would go into a city where, where Finney was, was going to come uh, a few days later, but they would rent a room and they would begin to pray, and they would pray up to and through the meetings, the services that, uh, that, that Finney was holding, and, and, uh, and there was great power and, and uh, again, part of the Great Awakening. When Daniel Nash passed away, uh, within, within um, four months of Nash's death, Finney stopped traveling as an evangelist because that prayer had been such a key part of his ministry. Richard Foster, in, in writing about these and other prayer warriors, says this, For those explorers in the frontiers of faith, prayer has no little hab- was no little habit tucked into the periphery of their lives. It was their lives. It was the most serious work of their productive years. To breathe was to pray. And all of that sounds amazing, right? It can be inspiring to hear how all those guys prayed, and maybe that spurs you on to, to do great things in prayer in your own life. But I have to tell you that sometimes it can have the opposite effect. And when we hear stories like that, maybe it just makes us feel worse and we get discouraged because, wow, those people really have a, a on fire hot prayer life, right? And, and I'm just struggling to make mine lukewarm and I'm not even sure I'm there yet. But I, I guess I, I want to bring some word of encouragement to you today that no matter how hot you would characterize your prayer life, there's, there's hope because God meets us exactly where we are. It's, it's not about your performance. We, we talked about last week. It, it's not about I've got to pray exactly this way and, and do it right and do it good. Uh, but it's about your connection with God. And so as you devote yourself more and more to the habits and the practices of prayer, that connection gets stronger and you get closer and you become more like him and, and you see his power at work in the world. 
Prayer is, is really kind of a, an interesting thing. It can seem silly. Uh, that we, we think that, that, that we just say some words or even think some words and, and some divine being somewhere hears and responds. I mean, uh, from the outside looking in, it probably seems kind of, kind of silly. So, so we have to, does, does, uh, we have to look, I mean, does prayer really reach the ears of God? And if it does, what good does it really do? Dallas Willard once wrote, the idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. I, I guess what, we're, what, what I'm saying, I'm asking, uh, does prayer really change anything? I mean, uh, the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is all-knowing. He's going to do what he's going to do, regardless of whether I pray. Uh, does it really matter? Does, uh, I mean, God, it says God doesn't change like shifting shadows. And yet, yet there are several places, many places in the Bible, where we see uh, that prayers made all the difference and were the deciding factor. In what happened, we don't have time to go into all the stories, but I'll just give a few highlights here. Uh, in Genesis, Abraham uh, was God had had revealed to Abraham that he was about to to wipe out the city of Sodom, right? And and uh, you know, fire and brimstone and all the all the stuff. And Abraham knew that his um, his nephew Lot lived there, and so he started started. Uh, uh, Fighting for God to relent, or at least, and so at least, uh, okay. Well, if you find a few righteous people in the city, maybe you won't do anything there, right? And he started with fifty. If you find fifty righteous people, and God said, okay, I'll, uh, I won't uh, bring the destruction if there are fifty righteous people. And then Abraham said, well, fifty might be a little high. What about four? If you'll do fifty, why, why, maybe you'll do forty. And and God said, okay. And then the conversation went like that: thirty, and then twenty, and then even ten. And God agreed. He he changed what he was going to do uh, based on Abraham's prayer. Moses uh, negotiated on more than one. If you've read the, the, the story of the, the people of Israel in, in the wilderness and Moses leading the way, you'll see that, that, that Moses uh, intervened on behalf of the people more than once uh, as they were, God was going to wipe them out. They're complaining, they're, they're whining, they're critical, all the things, and God's, I'm, I'm done, I've put up with, I'm not going to put up with it anymore. And Moses interceded on their behalf and changed his mind. Uh, Jonah, in his uh, deep sea adventure, after that, uh, uh, being in the belly of the fish for a while, and then then he went to the city of Nineveh and he preached destruction because Nineveh was uh, wicked and God was going to come and wipe them out. And then the Ninevites changed their uh, changed their tune and repented, and so God changed His mind and did not bring the destruction that uh, that Jonah had. Prophesied in the book of Revelation, the, the last book in the Bible that talks all about end times and and what, what's going to happen uh, in heaven and in earth and and in in, in chapter eight in Revelation, there's a time when when everything just kind of stops. It says there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. During that time, an angel offers incense. It says there along with the prayers of God's people. And in, in Revelation 8, verse 4, we read, The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. And then that's followed in that, the rest of that chapter, followed by judgment on the earth and, and lightning and thunder and earthquakes, all in response to the people's prayers. 
Pastor John Ortberg writes this. Usually we think of events on earth being interrupted because of actions taken in heaven. However, here it's the other way around. All of heaven comes to a standstill. The endless songs and praises of heavenly hosts suddenly stops. Why? Because someone is praying. Prayers of real humans like you and me interrupt heaven. Over and over in the Bible, we, we, we see God interacting with humanity and, and uh, in that connection and exchange, God acts on the behalf of his people. If you don't believe that, then you won't pray. But if you do believe that, then you won't stop. I heard an evangelist say years ago, uh, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't pray, they don't happen. R.A. Torrey wrote, prayer is the key that unlocks all the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. All that God is and all that God has is at the disposal of prayer, but we must use the key. Prayer can do anything God can do, and as God can do anything, prayer is omnipotent. And then in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What happens when we don't ask, when we don't seek, when we don't knock? Nothing happens, right? But, but when we do, that we better watch out because that's when we receive and we find and the doors are flung open. God answers prayer. We've got to believe that. We've got to live our lives as if that's the case because it is. We've got to pray. So today I want to talk just a little bit about some of the logistics of prayer. Um, some people... Uh, might get up on, get hung up a little bit on positioning. Uh, when I pray, I've got to sit a certain way and fold my hands and close my eyes, or should I get up and walk around, or, or should I wave a hanky, or should I hoot and holler, or should I be quiet and still? Uh, and the answer is, yes, sure, do all of that. What, whatever it takes, do whatever it takes to connect with God. I, I love the little, uh, little poem, uh, that maybe I've shared before, but I, I'm gonna share it again and you can't stop me. Uh, the, the proper way for men to pray, said Deacon Samuel Keyes, at least the best for me, is down upon my knees. Oh, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with arms outstretched and wrapped in upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Slow. That posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head serenely bowed. Seems to me his hands should be serenely clasped in front, both thumbs pointed toward the ground, said Reverend Dr. Blunt. I fell in Hitchkin's way the other day, head first, said Willie Brown. Both my feet was a sticking up and my head was a sticking down. I prayed a prayer right then and there, best prayer I ever prayed, the prayingest prayer I ever prayed. I was standing on my head. Doesn't matter what position you're in, you do whatever it takes to connect with God. I, so logistic, when I'm talking logistics, who cares about the position? Do whatever it takes to connect with God. One part of logistics that maybe we don't talk about a whole lot, we tacked it on in our, in our little logo here. Oh, it's 21 days of prayer and fasting. There's a, there's a little and fasting. 
What in the world is fasting? Do we even need to worry about that? I want to talk just a little bit about that today as we, uh, as we think. Of, I mean, the, the most common way we hear about it these days is intermittent fasting. Um, I'm, I'm a big proponent of intermittent fasting. I usually fast intermittently between about 9 p.m. and 7 a.m. Um, for my health purposes. Uh, and uh, no, it, this is not fasting for our health, our, our physical health. It's for our spiritual health. It was a, a spiritual practice in biblical times, and, and it, it still is today, but although probably isn't talked about a whole lot. Jesus addressed it in that uh, same Sermon on the Mount, this time in Matthew chapter 6. He says this in verse 16, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces and show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus says there, when you fast. He's, he's assuming that we're going to do it. Uh, it's, it's a natural part of uh, spiritual life. Back then, the people in the crowd would have been like, sure, okay, yeah, when I fast. And then Jesus said, well, you should do it this way. Uh, we have to back up a smidge because we go, wait, when I fast? You mean if I fast? Maybe I'm going to think about it a little bit. Uh, over the years, some traditions have practically killed themselves, uh, denying their bodies of food and comfort, while uh, others might swing the pendulum and uh, clear to the other side and have virtually ignored fasting and, and denying its potential benefits. So, so I, I guess just for a definition, and uh, as, as we think a little bit about fasting and, and why it might be important, fasting is abstaining abstaining from something, usually food, food or, or anything for spiritual purposes, abstaining from something for, for spiritual purposes. And really, it's the emphasis on that, on that motive, right? Uh, God sees uh, not just that you're abstaining, but he sees why, and he sees what is done in secret, it says, and it's for spiritual purposes. Most of the time in the Bible, uh, fasting was for a specific purpose, like to mourn a loss or, or uh, to get serious about a specific need. There's a certain need, and so they would call the people to fast and pray, um, or they, they were mourning, they would, they would fast when they lost a loved one. Other times, it was part of the ebb and flow of, of religious life, certain uh, uh, holy days or, or uh, uh, ritualistic days, they would, they would uh, fast as part of their celebrations um, or commemorations. Uh, Jesus says, uh, not to direct attention to yourself, but to fast in order to connect with God. So fasting can do a lot to enhance our prayer lives, to focus us on God. It can reveal things in our lives that have become more important to us than him. Uh, again, Richard Foster, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. So fasting humbles us because we begin to realize that we're dependent on things, on whether that's food or we saw technology or, or whatever it is, fill in the blank, and we're not completely dependent on God. Uh, Dallas Willard, this discipline teaches us a lot about ourselves very quickly. It will certainly prove humiliating to us as it reveals to us how much our peace depends on the pleasures of eating. 
If, if you're wondering what you should fast, certainly food is, a, is a, the traditional thing that we fast. We fast uh, completely for a while or we fast uh, specific food. Uh, I mean, we all depend on food and, and, um, and so it's, uh, it's, it's, that's, that's the primary thing that we think about. But I think it would also be helpful for us to think about what else uh, might have control over you. What is it that you turn to for strength or comfort instead of to God? Maybe fasting will help not only reveal those things which hold you, but will also help break their grip over you. Reverend Matthew Rogers wrote this, When we say we're going to skip some meals and focus on God, an amazing thing happens. We have a greater awareness of God's presence. Every stomach growl is a reminder that today I'm seeking God. Meal times are substituted with quiet times of reading the Bible and praying or sitting and listening to God. When I fast, I find that I have a hard time taking my mind off my fast, which immediately puts me into prayer. The whole day seems like it is lived in God's presence. So I think if we're thinking about fasting, fasting has two major benefits. It focuses our prayer life and it breaks the grip of what controls us. So you might fast a meal or uh, spend and then spend that time praying or maybe even give the money that you would have spent on uh, that meal uh, to some some worthy cause. Uh, a great way to fast for 24 hours is to eat lunch and then don't eat again till the next lunch. And it's it'll be just about uh, a whole day, uh, but you'll have slept part of that time. And so that makes it a little easier, right? Maybe if you're just just stepping into it. Uh, but read up on it. Be smart about it. Uh, you know, our, our bodies are, are uh, uh, we have certain uh, health concerns and different things. So, so uh, be smart about it. Uh, know what your body can handle. Uh, fast technology, fast a, ha- a hobby or a habit. Most of all, though, the focus is, uh, uh, should be on God throughout the fast. And, and it shouldn't be something that we announce to the world. Uh, but, uh, but I challenge you, maybe your takeaway uh, this week is to, uh, is to fast, to, to, to try it. Maybe, maybe it's completely foreign to you. I don't know what in the world this, this is uh, all about. And, and uh, maybe, uh, so just try it. Skip a, skip a meal and spend some time praying instead. Allow God to speak to you and pay attention to what those spiritual insights and experiences are that you have while you do that. It's one of the one of the practical logistics of something that you can implement in your in your prayer life. As, and as we keep looking at these logistics of prayer, I, I want to spend just a couple of minutes uh, looking at, at two aspects of prayer that on the surface seem to contradict each other. And, and maybe we get a little confused about it. Uh, and so the, the first one is is scheduled prayer. We, we, we should schedule prayer. We need to have a regular, consistent daily time of personal prayer. And we need to schedule that. It's essential to our relationship with God. Psalm 55, uh, 16 and 17. As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. Daniel 6, 10. Three times a day, he, Daniel, got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. He scheduled it three times a day. Matthew 6, verse 6. When you pray... Go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We should have a a plan. We should make a plan to have regular times of prayer mapped into our schedule. Don't just wait till you feel like praying. 
I, I can testify that you're probably not going to pray much if you wait until you feel like praying. Uh, when you schedule it, it becomes a priority in our lives. And really, if, if you think about it, the things that are, are a priority in your life, you schedule and schedule things around them, right? You don't wait until you maybe have a few minutes in order to, to eat dinner. No, you schedule things around that because dinner is probably important to you. Uh, you, you. You schedule things that are, that are important. Schedule time for prayer. That scheduled time should be when you get all alone, you're, you're upright and alert, you have access to the, the, the Bible, maybe other devotional materials, uh, maybe some way to write things down. Uh, it's helpful to have a place uh, that's, that's the same place. Uh, ev- uh, it minimizes distractions, I've found, over time. I always go to the certain place, maybe it's a certain chair, I've got the table and I've got the resources and all that, and it's all right there. Uh, last week I mentioned a prayer closet. Uh, and scripture talks about that. You don't have to use a literal closet. People might think you're kind of weird if you're tucked in next to the shoes under the, under the shirts. But, uh, but, but the metaphor is there, right? It's, it's, it, it, we should have a place that's familiar and safe and private. And we should schedule time to spend with God in that place. If you're, if you're new to this, this prayer thing, if that's not part of your schedule, uh, I don't want you to get... Well, I mean, I do want you to get excited about it and, and to go out of here and go, I'm going to do that. But I don't want you to go out of here and say, I'm going to spend three hours in prayer every day this week. You can get a little overzealous. And then when that doesn't happen, oh, well, forget it. I can't do this. Start slow, incrementally, uh, you know, a few minutes. Uh, and then uh, you'd rather have the time like, oh, I scheduled five minutes, but it went ten. Oh, wow, this is, this is great. And we, we continue uh, to, to let that grow over time, and and I think it's important for us to prepare ourselves uh, for prayer. It's it's more than just okay, sit down. All right, I've got a da 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 da. And and I love Henry Nouwen, uh, who who wrote, uh, "Our inner life is like a banana tree filled with monkeys jumping up and down." Anybody relate to that? Uh, it's not easy to sit in solitude and trust that God will speak. I mean, our minds go everywhere, right? So we need to be aware of those monkeys, right? And, and uh, do what we can to quiet them, to, to get ourselves into a place where we can focus on God. We prepare our minds, prepare our hearts, uh, prepare our physical space during those scheduled times of prayer. We need to have scheduled times of prayer. Prayer should be scheduled. Prayer should also be, if we look at Scripture, prayer should also be spontaneous, Wait a minute, Pastor, you just said it needs to be scheduled and I need to plan it out and I need to get rid of the monkeys. And now you're saying spontaneous. Well, there's that verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, pray without ceasing. Or uh, maybe your translation is pray continually. And so how do we do that? We've got to live life. We have a job. We have a family. We have hobbies and, and routines. And, and all. how do we pray without ceasing? Well, prayer is, again, just to... Recap, we'll keep talking about this. Prayer is simply connecting with God in our relationship with God, keeping that relationship intact. So I think it helps to think about the other relationships that we have in our lives. If we have a a good, solid relationship with someone, I I mean, you're not constantly speaking to that person all the time, right? Uh, There's certainly a, you're not always in communication. I mean, certainly though, that relationship could still be a a solid, even a growing relationship, but you're not always on, uh, in, in constant communication. 
I mean, you might shoot a text if something comes up. You might call to share news or to get support. Um, you, you might think about that person. Uh, they, they might think about you. There's, there's, a, there's a ways that we, uh, we interact, but it's not all communication all the time. And that, I think, is the picture of our life with God. We're not spending 24 hours a day in the prayer closet. But the relationship is still solid and we're still in contact. And as things arise, we can lift up a prayer. Many things might prompt us to pray spontaneously. And here, here's a list of just, uh, just a few uh, new things. A, a, a new day, a new year, a new baby, a new relationship, a new job, a new... Uh, dedicate the new things in your life to God. Oh, needs. Uh, as people and situations come to mind, make your first response to pray about those needs. Uh, it's not just that we get down and out. Oh, we heard this need, this, uh, this news and it's, it's bad news. And well, let's make our first response that we spontaneously pray for those needs in our lives. Times of confusion can be times, significant times when we, when we need to spontaneously pray. You feel confused. You don't know which direction to take. You don't know what decision to make. You're, you're kind of overwhelmed. What's going on? We need to pray for, for wisdom and for direction from God. And we don't need to wait until our scheduled time uh, the next morning in order to, to pray for those things. Times of crisis. I think we're probably pretty good at this. We uh, we go through the whole list, and it's still a crisis. Then then we're gonna uh, we're gonna pray because we got nothing else to do, right? Well, maybe the first thing to do would be to lift those those things to God. To uh, uh, it, and also, what about like crisis that's not really affecting my life, but I hear about it? Maybe you've got the news on, and you hear about this or that going on in the world. Pray about those situations. Don't, uh, uh, don't just shake your head and, and wonder what in the world's going on and, and uh, get depressed. And let's pray about the crises in, in, uh, in our lives and in the world. Sin is a, uh, uh, a wonderful opportunity for prayer and confession, right? It's, uh, it's a time for us not to just ignore it or to push it away or to hide it or to, yeah, next time I talk to God, sometime maybe we'll talk about that but as we realize as soon as you realize that you've you've messed up that you've done something that's that's uh, been disobedient to God confess it ask for forgiveness spontaneous prayer times of stress issues that we face lead us to uh, to stress out to worry but God says specifically that that don't that we shouldn't get anxious about anything but we should pray about Everything, And so we need to lift those things to God and we'll experience his peace even in the middle of our stress. If we're going through things that are burdening us, uh, the things are going wrong, pray. Uh, times of blessing and things are going great, pray. I, I guess what I'm saying is there is never a time not to pray. <laughs> Can I say that? I don't know. Are there English teachers in here? Forgive me if there are. Uh, pray without ceasing. Be spontaneous. Practice prayer. Let the conversation continue throughout the day. Let prayer become your first response instead of your last desperate move. So keep on praying. Connecting with God. Try fasting. 
That's a, that's a, a big step maybe for, for some of us. Uh, develop a habit of scheduled prayer. Maybe, maybe you've, you've been leaning hard on the spontaneous part of prayer, but maybe not the scheduled part. And maybe you need to say, okay, you know what? This week, I'm gonna, gonna schedule out that time. I'm gonna get up five minutes earlier. I'm gonna, gonna, uh, make sure that I carve out that time and schedule it. Or maybe you're heavy on the scheduled time and I've gotta do it just this way. And, uh, and maybe you're not so spontaneous. Maybe your takeaway today is, uh, is to uh, recognize and keep that relationship, that, that conversation going. Um, I think all of those things will move us well down the road away from a lukewarm prayer life and uh, get us toward uh, heating up our life with God in prayer. 